I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. My guest is Cheryl Kiodi, industry strategist for financial services at Akamai. And we're talking about trust, trust in financial services and financial institutions, what they need to do to ensure customer trust. Reliability is, of course, important. All of the customers expect their financial information to be available to them 24-7. But the secure part is certainly the top priority, making sure that they are able to securely access their information and that information only gets to those who should be accessing it. The issue we all have in the financial technology arena now is that everybody expects everything to work all the time, first time. So true, yes. And what do you do to help make that happen? So there's lots of different things that Akamai does as a whole and that I can help to do as a strategist. So so firstly, as a strategist, my job entails going out and speaking with customers and understanding what the challenges are. So if there are any issues with that are perceived or real with the ability to deliver those services on time the first time, I can then bring that back to Akamai developers and engineers and ensure that we are building products and services that will help them to deliver that. What I I can do as a whole is to ensure the reliability of the services that they're bringing to their customers, ensure that they have the best defenses against some of the trending threats that are out there by paying attention to threat intelligence sharing platforms, being a, a critical provider and FSI SAC gives us that visibility so that we see what the threat actors are up to, and then we're able to then help to prevent those types of attack from ever reaching our customers. Well, let's talk about those threats just for a moment. You mentioned trending threats. What are the trending threats at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's something that we've got to keep on top of. So there's no threat vector that's ever, you know, fallen asleep completely, right? <laughs> so so we can't claim complacency. Oh, DDoS attacks are no longer an issue. That type of thing will get us into a lot of trouble. But the threat actors are constantly evolving and looking for new vectors and new ways to attack. And so sometimes the financial institutions can kind of play like whack-a-mole. You know, they go after one particular type of threat, and then the, the threat actors will alter and change their tactics. So we have to keep an eye on the next attack. I will say that um, attacking APIs is quite uh, lucrative business for the uh, for cyber criminals. So APIs have become very prolific in financial services, and the, the use is really expanding. And with more use of the APIs, it's then expanding the attack surface and the ability for the threat actors to come in through the APIs. So that's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on. And I suppose the next big thing is going to be artificial intelligence as far as that's concerned, because everybody tells me, oh, AI is great. AI is going to solve all our fraud problems. It's going to attack financial crime. And I'm just thinking, what happens when they get their hands on it? (laughs) And you're right. I think there's a lot of benefits to AI and there's things that we can do to kind of reduce the amount of false negatives and false positives that we're seeing uh, when we're trying to uh, mitigate attacks. But but you're right. What about when when the bad guys get get a hold of the AI, right? So it's it's constantly about evolving the mitigation tactics that we have and, and our ability to respond, right, and understanding what's out there. So that's why, again, 
belonging to a threat intelligence sharing organization like FSISAC helps us to to broaden our ability to kind of listen for what those uh, what we're seeing the threat actors come up with, and when they're utilizing AI, we can be hopefully one step ahead of them with our response. You need to know what's coming up so that you can project forward and look at what they might be doing and take steps to mitigate it as early as possible. Precisely. It's it's like think like a threat actor, right? So, you know, have those tabletop exercises within your organization and have people try to kind of reverse the way they think and and try to think like a bad guy. What would you do to break into this system? How would you try to get those credentials? What would you do to take advantage of this particular critical time with regard to political landscape or the market or, uh, you know, a, a worldwide pandemic? How would you capitalize on an activity like that if you were a threat actor? So... This sounds like the kind of internal conversation any financial institution should be having. Are they actually having them? They definitely need to be. And I have spoken to some people in financial services and say, oh, yeah, we run tabletop exercises once a year. We're fine. We're fine. That's not the case, right? This is He's laughing. But this is something that needs to happen with regularity so it becomes muscle memory, right? It's not like when the attack happens, you're like – deer in the headlights and trying to respond and Googling, you know, cybersecurity vendor that can help me, right? <laughs> these, these are things that have to be in muscle memory. We've got to be able to respond to them, say, oh, I've got this in my back pocket. I know how to respond. Well, let's turn to the perhaps less apocalyptic, more business as usual now. And it is, as I said earlier, something that has to happen right first time, right every time, how do you go about ensuring that your part of that equation works? Well, similarly, we're, we're running tabletop exercises, right? We have threat intelligence folks with kind of eyes on the glass. You know, we're running our own security operations center with our intelligence, with our, you know, top cybersecurity professionals who are constantly staying on top of what's happening and looking across the industry across um, various various industries to see what's happening. So, so that's how we we ensure you know that we are staying on top of what's going on and being able to respond. We're constantly investing in our ability to respond. So, you know, we just had an acquisition of an API security firm called Neosec. So looking to improve the offerings that we bring into uh, into our customers and prospects, with, like the um, acquisition of Gardacore uh, a year and a half or so back, where we're now able to offer um, network segmentation and enhanced capabilities to our customers. So constantly improving and bringing that expertise to bear. We are in a very fluid environment. There is such a huge change going on in financial services and the way financial services are being delivered. I don't think people have really got a handle on just how seismic this actually is. Banking didn't change for 200 years. It was ledgers, it was high desks, it was pens dipped in ink. Okay, the pens dipped in ink might have gone, but banking for the 18th, 19th and best part of the 20th century would have been utterly recognisable to anybody mm -hmm. from any one of those eras. It's changed. There's been a multiplication in the number of institutions active in the financial services arena. 
How they talk to each other has changed. Where they talk to each other, they don't do it anywhere other than on the cloud now. Right. How is this changing their needs? At the end of the day, the need is to be able to trust that my money is protected, right? So if, you know, if we take out all the delivery and all that, we're all concerned with a trusting environment where we can make sure that our money stays safe. That is the very first thing I want from a bank. I want them to look after my money and I want it to be there when I want to get at it. That's right. Yeah. And so we have to keep that in mind. I think sometimes the technology landscape can respond to the shiny object and what's what's happening. We have to keep the focus on the customer. What is the customer looking to do and how can technology enable what the customer does? We can't have a solution looking for a problem. It's got to be about the customer. So it's always about a secure, safe way to keep my money and make sure it's accessible to me when I need it, where I need it. And that, I think technology has moved so fast that, yes, the natural evolution is to move to the cloud. And we've got to do that with caution that ensures that we're doing it in a secure way. We've got to be able to keep our eyes on what the threat actors are thinking about themselves and make sure that we're building security into every single product or service that we build for a client. Security has to be built in. It can't be an afterthought because by then it's too late and we've left the vulnerabilities open. We've got to build in education for our customers and our employees to ensure that we're protected against phishing attacks that can turn into ransomware attacks and ensure that that education is key because all of this technology is dependent upon people and processes as well. And if we're not really ensuring that all three of those legs of the stool are staying connected and as secure as possible, then we've left something out and we're not delivering to our customers what they expect of us as a financial institution. Well, the now aging, it's not necessarily old yet, but (laughs) aging joke is that there are two types of company those that have been hacked and those that haven't noticed yet. Yeah. If we believe that that's not true, we might be a little bit naive. So I think it's about how can we build in cyber resilience so that we can we can respond once we get hit. So how do you respond with the least amount of damage, the least amount of downtime, the least cost to your organization in people and resources and time, and making sure that you can get back and up and running with the least amount of damage. And I think this is where... Something like um, micro-segmentation can really help, where you you can segment your network so that when the bad guy gets in, it's, it's, it's almost like um, what a shipbuilder does uh, when building a, a, a ship. Compart- so, compartmentalization. Com- exactly, yeah. So if, if there's a breach to one hull in the ship, the whole ship isn't going to sink. And that's the kind of thinking that we uh, that we implement with regard to... At least um, not without Jack on board, but... <laughs> That's true, right? That's true. Anybody under 30 won't get that (laughs) reference. I know. know. Something I've been hearing quite a lot about in the last few months is resilience, operational resilience. Mm -hmm. Something else I heard a lot about was vulnerabilities in financial institutions that they hadn't noticed, like Silicon Valley Bank, who didn't notice they'd taken a one-way bet on interest rates. This is another example of the unlooked-for consequence of speed in financial services it's great to be able to do things quickly sometimes Mm -hmm. you need a little bit of think time to step back and say is this wise 
I've seen photographs of bank runs in the 1930s, which is just a queue of people outside a building. I've seen photographs of bank runs in the late noughties, in the UK even, where there's a queue of people outside a building. These days, a bank run is my index finger pushing Mm -hmm. a button. You know, the Silicon Valley Bank and, and the contagion effect from that is nothing less than frightful, right? To to realize that there are certain lessons we've yet to learn, right? Putting all your eggs in a specific basket and not realizing the implications of what else could happen. So I, I think you're so right. And then the the bank runs what we saw with First Republic Bank, you know, uh, in other banks where that contagion effect were, could perhaps have a devastating ripple effect throughout the financial market. So I do think that we have lessons to learn that we're hard-pressed to learn. Well, this is just another example of what I was saying earlier about the fact that the seismic change in the way services are being delivered. People have not yet got to grips with what that potentially means. I think you're right that um, that it has been a seismic shift. You know, the going back to the, the brick-and-mortar bank where I could be open 9 to 4, I dictate when you can bank with my organization. I'm the boss, right? The customer is not as important. Even that has just shifted on its head. I want to be on holiday, uh, on my mobile phone, connected to a cafe's Wi-Fi, and conduct my banking transactions. All of these things have happened so rapidly that financial institutions need to be able to respond with a security mindset built in. So you're right about it being a seismic shift. It's an issue of trust. The reason banks looked like Greek temples for hundreds of years was because that was what was engendering trust. It was a solid institution. It was a safe institution. It was an institution that was grounded, had been here forever. That was the face of the bank. Nowadays, the face of the bank is the screen on my phone. Yeah. Do I have as much trust in the solidity of the screen on my phone? Well, I mean, trust is such a big word. You know, you look at, you know, I know the term millennials probably spans a generation that's that's multi-decades long. But you look at, at a younger generation of financial institutions customers and you think about trust. What if they come from a place where they saw... 2008, they saw the the financial institutions crash. They saw their parents lose their job. They have more trust in a brand like Nike, you know, than maybe they do in some of the larger financial institutions. So trust is something that it takes a long time to rebuild. And so I think that's even more the reason why we have to pay particular attention to what's happened with some of the the bank runs you just talked about and really instilling the fact that a financial institution is that pillar of strength in some place where you can trust to put your money where it's going to be accessible when you want it, where you want it? Well, what's a financial institution anymore? But I'll give you two examples of this. One is the biggest bank nobody's heard of is Starbucks because of the amount of customer money they have on deposit in their gift cards and their loyalty cards. That's one. The second one Apple launching, admittedly, it's just a front organization for Goldman Sachs, but Apple launching a deposit rate that's twice the average deposit rate that was previously available from American banks when they launched it. Yeah, and the Apple card is beautiful to look at. It's pristine. You unbox it when you get it. It's it's all about a consumer experience, much more than a financial transaction, right? They've got this 
this marketing mindset built into the way they're delivering products and services. And it's much, it's gone much beyond just a place where I can, I can trust my bank to have my money safely um, stored for when I need it and conduct financial transactions. It's, it's building into consumerism that we've all grown accustomed to. Cheryl Kiyodi, Industry Strategist for Financial Services at Akamai, thank you very much.